it's Sunday night, Brian. Church is over. I'm getting hungry. Where do you want to go for dinner tonight? Well, I was thinking about a hamburger or um, some fajita. No, 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 no. I want... Lazari's Italian oven. <laughs> I want Lazari Italian oven. I want some toasted ravioli appetizer. Oh, that sounds I, good. I, I want some... Oh, my gosh. Dude, I'm getting hungry even thinking about it. If you guys are in the Jonesboro area and you're looking for dinner tonight, there's no better place to go tonight than Lazari Italian Oven. 2230 South Caraway Road in Jonesboro. Or if you don't have time to sit down and eat, go ahead. Get LJ, what are you laughing for? LJ, we guys, we have one of our favorite people in the room with us right now. LJ's just sitting here laughing. What is so funny? Anyway, it's not a joking matter when it comes to food, Brian. Go by and see Lazari's Italian Oven. If you're not, if you're busy, go and give them a call at 870-931-4700. So tell me about how your experience with Nat went again. Tell our listeners again. It couldn't have been any smoother. I had type B flu, and Nat still came to my house and was willing to install the new heating unit in our house and... That thing has worked like a dream. I mean, you couldn't have imagined better service for a better price than Anderson Heat and Air. Yeah, you can give Nat a phone call at 870-935-1155. Another one of our sponsors this week is Dustin Thomas with listwithliveoak.com. If you're looking to buy, sell, if you're looking to rent, if you're looking to get out of that dump you call a home, give him a call at 870-520-2522 or go to listwithliveoak.com. Brian, you actually had an encounter with Dustin as well. How was your buying experience through him? So we were looking at some homes. He was sending us some emails, sending us some text messages. We were telling him kind of what we want, what we were looking for. It ended up all working together and working out to make us get to where we could get the home that we were wanting when we first got married, Melissa and I. And we couldn't have, again, asked for a better experience. And so if you guys are looking to buy a home anywhere in the state of Arkansas, I believe Dustin can has license where he can sell homes across the entire but did, state. didn't you guys actually pick out a house, get ready to buy it, and you decide you wanted something else? How did he handle that situation? Dude, he handled it like an absolute pro, Tony. I cannot tell you enough about – or. There's there's really no better way to describe it, the way you can the, uh, get an experience with Dustin Thomas, other than just getting out there and getting it. Get your own story because can, I can tell you my story about how he got us into our home, but you need to have your own story of how he's going to get you into the home of your dreams. List with liveoak.com. The last one is about the Drifted Drum Company. Tell us a little bit about that. Dr. April Jones, she wrote a good book. She's from Nashville. Avid listener. She's an avid listener. She she's um, Nashville, great, Tennessee. Great yep. book. She's out of Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, the book tells the story about overcoming some struggles that everybody's going to face in life, and how you can receive through all your struggles a message. Yes. So go to thedriftedrum.com, Put in promo code crucial and get ten percent off your entire order. You get a free companion journal. You get anything you're looking for. So you don't just have books or 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 uh, merch she has everything from inspirations to daily bread anything you're looking for dr april jones can hook you up Mm -hmm. now let's get to what's going on this weekend we do have to give a warning brian this episode does contain graphic content and it's not suitable for all audiences listener discretion is highly 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 suggested why because we get very very open and honest about real struggles that real people face because we talk in this episode very openly and honestly about men's 
addictions. Yes. And you know what, Brian? We both learned you don't have to run from those addictions anymore. You don't have to. Don't have to. We're going to teach you in this episode what to do, how to do it, and how to conquer what you think is unconquerable. Guys, this is Peter Sandin on The Crucial Conversation. I, th- I think the, if I just ended it all, I just want people to know there's hope. If there's anything about my horrible, crazy, shame-filled story, is that there's hope. And if you're, if you're a man and you're struggling with this, it's okay. God loves you. There's help. There's help out there. That's the message that we have to be saying right now. People don't know there's help. They don't know what's out there. There is help. I look back at my life, and, and I look back, and, and over the course of the last 12 years, any given year, I look at it and say, man, this is horrible. This sucks. This process is tough. I'm not doing very good. But if I look back now as a person that's outside of that situation, I look where God brought me from, I can't help but thank him for what he's done. I can't help but think about the restoration that has happened in my life. He didn't just pull me out of a, a problem. He didn't just heal my wounds and my wrong thinking and give me a renewed mind and transform me. He restored me. He gave me so much more. He gave me a walk with him I never had before. Hey guys, this is Brian. And I'm Tony. And you're listening to the Crucial Conversation Podcast. Well, we are finding ourselves in our final interview before we head south, Brian. It's been a great, fun trip. Uh, We've learned a lot. We've had some great interviews, but I think we kind of saved the best for last on this one. We are sitting with Brother Peter Sandin in Madison, Wisconsin. Um, Brian asked me how I found this guy, and I the people that I was talking to about coming up here doing our interviews, um, I had three people tell me the same thing, Brian. Uh, if you're going to come that far, you got to talk to Peter Sandin. And I was like, okay, well, who is this guy? Well, I'm excited to get to sit down with you. Uh, can I call you Peter? Is that okay with you? Yeah, <laughs> no problem. Uh, I'm excited to get to sit down with you, hear your story. Um, you have an awesome story to tell, and I'm super excited to dive into it. Um, start at the beginning, man. Tell us about growing up, what you decided to do after high school. I mean, you got a cool story there. Yeah, sure. So I, I grew up right here in Madison. Uh, my parents uh, received the Holy Ghost, uh, were brought into church here in Madison uh, at the Calvary Gospel Church. And uh, here at Calvary Gospel Church. And so I grew up in the church. It's all I knew kind of going forward and, and as I grew up. Um, I would say I went, it was pretty standard, except we had a Christian school here. So I went to the Christian school, K through 12. I never saw a secular I never saw a secular school, so right here in the church. And uh, my parents got me involved really young in ministry. I helped teach classes. I've been a part of a lot of the ministries here at Calvary House Church because they started us young. It's something they were passionate about. Um, when I got uh, to be 17 years old, I was, I was graduating high school a little bit early because they started me early. And I, uh, I wanted to go to college, but at the time I couldn't afford it. And so my parents, uh, my dad said, well, I'll sign your papers to go to the Army if you want. And I, would already, I was already thinking about that. So I joined the Army at the age of 17. And at the same time, I uh, en- enrolled in the U- University of Wisconsin-Madison uh, to go to school. This was back in 2000, roughly, is when I started all that. So you joined the military. Um, I heard that you have 
you had a cool job in the military. Yeah. What, what was that job? Yeah. So I, I told my dad, I said, if I'm going to join the army, I want to do something that, that you can't do with a normal job. I'm not going to cook or, and that's, those are good things. We need those, but I'm like, I want to do something different. Yeah. You so, need cooks. Look at me. <laughs> yeah. yeah <laughs> so I, I said, let me find something different. I found this recruiter. And he's like, how would you like to work on helicopters? And I'm like, well, I can't do that in the real life. So that's normal life. So I, I signed up to be a mechanic on a Blackhawk helicopter. And after three years of doing that here in the States, because I was in the, the Army National Guard for the Wisconsin National Guard. And after doing that for three years, uh, I was promoted to sergeant. And I also then became a crew chief and a gunner on a Blackhawk. And that's where it got fun. So working on Blackhawks is pretty cool. I mean, you're touching something most people don't get to touch. But then when you get to fly in them and do night missions and day missions, and, and we were... Uh, we were deployed after being in the Army for about three years. I got deployed twice. And so once was before the war started for about three months, four months, we were overseas. And then I got back, and I was home for three or four months, and then I got deployed again. And that was when the war started in February of 2003. So I was overseas for four months and then about 11 months, almost a year, for the second time um, in uh, Kuwait and Iraq and flying all over there. With And it was a it was a blast. So I guess the second uh, deployment was a quite a bit different than the first one. Yeah, the first one. Yeah, that's true. The first one is is very. Uh, you were sitting at a base in Kuwait. You know, you could go off base and go eat at the local restaurants and meet the local people and buy trinkets at the local shops. The second time, you're at a tent in the desert and you know there's berms around you and you have a loaded gun on you at all times and you go on missions with and everything is very uh, a lot more information, more detail, uh, more concern. I want to ask something that uh, military life, you you are uh, Pentecostal through the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. I, I, let me let me dig into that a little bit. There's a really cool testimony there that I try to share with everybody. But I went through a period of the time when I was overseas that you know I'm what was I 21, 22 years old at the time, and having been brought up in this in my whole life, if you've been brought up in any sort of religion, especially apostolics, at some point I believe there comes a chance, a moment in your life where you have to decide, is, is, this, is this what I believe or am I just doing what my parents have told me my whole life? And I started to question it and wonder, you know, is this really real? Does God really exist? Does it really matter? And so I kind of went a little bit of the secular route. I read every Bush book by Josh McDowell and Ravi Zacharias about knowing God and finding God. You know, I did all this, but the moment that was really key to my life was when I called my dad up. We were overseas, and he, this is back before, really before cell phones. It was 2001, 2002. It was, they were just new, and no, nobody had them overseas. So you'd call up on this dial-up line. I was talking to my dad, and I, I was just in a really low spot. I was trying to journal, and I was, remembered my journal was a lot about how I, God, I just don't believe it anymore, and I, I don't know what to do. And I was kind of, it was just a mental and emotional and spiritual bottom. And I called my dad. I'm like, Dad, just, you know, my dad's been serving God for my whole life. I'm 21 for 23 years at the time, and he's he's a, a leader in the church. And I call him up, and I said, Dad, I, I, don't, I don't know if I can believe this anymore. I don't know if this is for me. And at that moment, he spoke a truth into my life that was so cool because he, he answered me on the phone from 2,000 miles away, and he said, that's okay, Peter. I still love you. And it was like, hmm. that was shocking to me. It's not what I believed anything should be. It's not what my life experiences had taught me. My life experiences taught me that, well, you're going to be in trouble and you're going to go to hell and you're going to blah, blah, And And so the fact that he chose to respond in love, and, and, and it was really cool. We got to have a conversation about it. And that's really taught me some things in how I work with people now and that there's nothing you can say that's going to get me away from you. My dad taught me that. There's nothing I could have said that would have taken his love for me or taken his ability to say, no, I'm still going to talk to you, son. I don't care if you're renouncing God, which I wasn't. I'm using a strong term there. But I don't care if you're renouncing God or saying you don't believe it or you're spitting in the face of what I've taught you all these years. 
it's okay. I still love you. And that's just a powerful message that I've kept to this day. Well, the reason I ask that is because whenever I was in high school, actually on the way over here, us three guys, I asked the question, I said, what did you guys want to be when you were a kid growing up? And, um, you know, they gave me their answers because I was kind of just thinking about the conversation we were going to have. I always wanted to be a police officer whenever I was in high school. (laughs) And uh, growing up, even in elementary, I was like, man, that'd be so cool to be a police officer. And whenever I was probably 14 or 15, my cousin went into the military. He went into the Navy. He wasn't in church or anything. And he went into the Navy. And I was like, you know what? That'd be the perfect career path to be able to go into criminal justice. Mm-hmm. I said, I would like to do that. And I remember talking to my dad about it, and he said, you know, it's kind of hard being um, uh, an apostolic Pentecostal and, and, and go through the military. So I was interested to hear your perspective on uh, military life and, and, and being able to juggle, you know, living for God whenever uh, it, it's such a, a broad, vast difference of, uh, of just interest, it seems like, there. Yeah, I think if you're looking at the juggling of what you know and believe and what you're supposed to be living for, um, an interesting fact about me, and I joke about this even at work, I have a secular job, I have never had a drink of alcohol in my life. I've never done drugs in my life. I, this is, I mean, I, I married my wife and I was a virgin when we got married. Like this is, like all this was great stuff. And so when you're in the army and, you know, you're getting ready to go overseas, everybody's drinking and having fun. I'm like, you know, I'll be the designated driver. This is my crew, whatever, stuff like that. Um, I, I, at the time, I, I wasn't partaking in what they were partaking in, but I didn't have a walk with God at the time. So it's so it's I, I look back and I say, if it wasn't for the prayers of my family, yes. which my dad my dad to this day, I'm thirty eight years old, and my dad's like, I've prayed for you every single day of your life. And it's like wow. If it wasn't for the prayers of my family and my church and the foundation that was built, that was kind of my default, I don't know where I would have been. Because getting through that tough period of my, my life when all the bad influences were there, just because you're overseas and in the Army doesn't mean there weren't bad things you could do. You know, there were a lot of bad things people were out there doing um, that the Army didn't approve of and that nor would uh, some sort of Christianity approve of either. But I didn't get involved in them. Yeah. But I wasn't having that walk with God that we should have. Yeah. Um, so you said um, some of the things that you've learned in, in your journey has helped you uh, minister to people now. What do you do now? Yeah, so right now uh, I, I work I work a secular job. I'm, I work for a construction company. I'm a project manager, so I manage projects project from all times, all sizes. And uh, here at the church, Calvary Gospel Church in Madison, I'm the family pastor, so I, I work with families and all the uh, student ministries here at the church. But also, uh, I'm the recovery group leader, and recovery groups are specifically focused on sexual addiction. Why are you the recovery group pastor? Yeah, I was about to say, because whenever you said recovery, I was like, he's never had a drink of alcohol, he's never done drugs, so uh, ex- explain. Explain your- why we got a disclaimer at the front of this, this podcast. Well, I'm the recovery group pastor because for many years, I was addicted to pornography and masturbation, and... Through the grace of God and a number of situations I'm sure we'll talk about today, yeah. I came out on the other side, and God has healed me, and He has restored me, and He has changed my life. And I mean, things aren't perfect as far as life goes, but I've got a great marriage. I've got a great family. I, I, I'm in a great church with a great team, and God is moving, and things are totally different in my life. I can really say my life has been restored. And so having gone through that process, uh, why I'm in it is because of my pastor reached out to me and said, I know you went through it. How can we help other men? Hmm. So we, we've, we've already talked about the Peter standing that everybody saw. 
Mm-hmm. Tell us about the Peter standing that nobody saw. Go back to the beginning of that story. The beginning of that story, and there's going to be a couple of things here that surprise you. The beginning of that story started when I was, I think I was about five years old. Uh, five years old, I was at my uncle's house. My my parents came to church right before they had me, like I said. So none of their family were uh, apostolic. They were Catholic or Lutheran or whatever. I was at my uncle's house with all my cousins. And one of my cousins had found down in my uncle's bathroom, bathroom uh, underneath the sink in the cabinet, he had found some pornographic magazines. And he was showing them to all of us. I was five years old. What's weird is I was, I, I'm being more open over the last couple of years as I start to share my testimony. And I was sitting at dinner the other night, uh, I think it was over Christmas, with my sister who lives in New York. And she comes back and I said, yeah, this happened. She's like, I was there. I remember that too. And we can remember the details of the bathroom. You can remember the details, whether the light was on or off. You can remember who was in the room. You can even remember what that image was because it was the first time I had seen something uh, mm. so drawing to me. It was five years old. I didn't, I didn't know what it was. My sister said the same thing. She's like, that was so early. And she's like, to this day, I remember this. Well, I didn't think much of it. And I'll tell you, I, I didn't remember that as, as life went on. But my dad worked a, worked a secular job. My dad was a hard worker, really good guy. He worked a secular job for Snap-on Tools. And so uh, with Snap-on Tools, you get in a truck and you drive around to the different car dealerships or places where they fix cars that need uh, You're a mobile tools. salesman. Yeah. You're a mobile salesman. You're selling and fixing tools. Well, I went to a Christian school when we had days off. My dad owned his own business, essentially, because you, you buy your own business with Snap-on. And it, it, that's how they did it at the time. And he'd be like, you want to ride in the truck with me? Well, I got to ride in a big truck and go around and sell tools with dad. This was awesome. Well, unbeknownst to me, I'm 10, 11, 12 years old. Guess what you see in all those places? There's girls half naked. Girls half naked. Some places, these are yeah. like sheds and barns in the middle of nowhere where guys are working on tractors. And there's like full, full mm-hmm. naked pictures, full pornographic pictures. And I remember, uh, to this day, I can remember, and I don't purposely try to remember it, but to this day, I can remember where those are. I will drive by a, there's a place on the west side of Madison, uh, northwest side of Madison, and I will drive by it and I can envision myself walking in it almost like somebody that i've talked to that has alcoholics addictions where they're alcoholics alcoholic where they they see bars and there's a draw there and i will drive by and i will remember it there's not a draw for me but i'll remember it because and there's different spots in the city of madison where if you if you look at my past there's moments in my life where these strongholds were starting to be built because i was starting to see things and, and tie them uh and tie them to my brain now an interesting part i'm going to skip ahead and skip backwards is when I had never in my life, and this is where, here's your disclaimer. I never in my life masturbated. I was a kid. I was, I was, I was, I'd never messed around with that, never uh, tried anything. Even when I was overseas, this is the part no one believes. I got back from overseas. I was about 23 years old. And it was the first time I started to experiment with masturbation and actually seeking out pornography on my own. Instead of just randomly coming across it or as a kid looking at the JCPenney catalogs and, and looking for extra information, right? So when I was 23, I started to actually masturbate and look at things. And so that's when I thought my problem started. But really, my problem started when I started putting those things in front of me. And it's, it's interesting because I, I look back now, and, and even I just uncovered this probably two and a half years ago. I was leading a group of men, and we were supposed to go back and think about things. And I hadn't thought about this in a long time. But there was a, there was a moment when I was, uh, I can't remember how old I was. Um, but I was probably 13, 14 years old, and I could not fall asleep without fantasizing about women before I would fall asleep. And I didn't remember that growing up. Like, I literally could not fall. I wasn't looking at porn. I wasn't masturbating. I wasn't touching myself. There was none of that going on. But it was part of this, this stronghold. And I, as I look back now, I can see it. 
When you're in the middle of it, you don't see it. When I'm 23 and I start masturbating and looking at porn, I don't see it. When I'm 25 and I'm and I'm uh, really overwhelmed by it and I'm trying to seek out for help, I didn't see all these patterns that were developing over my life. And there's nobody's fault. It's not like my dad's fault for taking me there or anything. It was just that this is this is all around us. It's mm-hmm. it's what we see. Mm-hmm. I can. Brian and I've kind of very briefly talked about this, and uh, Brian, he can be as open as he wants. I'll be as open as, as as possible right here. I can remember the very first time I was, hey, you were just describing pretty much my whole situation. I wasn't in the bathroom synchrony, but I remember, I can't remember how old I was, probably five or six years. No, I wasn't five. That's I was probably six, seven, eight, somewhere in there. When it happened, uh, my uncle... Um, I, I went on a, he was an 18 wheeler driver and he, um, I remember I was, I was so grouchy and tired one day. I was just ready to go home. I didn't want to be there no more. And we were traveling all over the country and as a week long, I was like, why don't you just go back in the, in the cab and take a nap and chill out a little bit? Cause I was grouchy and I went to the back and I, he's like, put a movie in that you want. And I turned the TV on and instantly a pornographic video began to play. Mm-hmm. And just like you said, I can I can I can very vividly and explicitly tell you what what was on that screen. It burned an image in my mind, yeah. and um, it's an image I'll never forget. Even though it's almost twenty five years ago, twenty you know twenty two twenty three years ago that that happened to me, that I can very vividly remember. And I was like, oh my gosh, I can't tell nobody about this, but you know, I remember. The most embarrassing thing that ever happened to me, my pastor called me into his office probably three or four months later. He said, I don't know what happened to you, but ever since you went on that trip with, with your uncle, you've changed. And I tried my hardest to put on the best friend. I was a kid, you know? Yeah. I like whenever pastors are like, oh my gosh, this Jesus thing's real. Because at that age, you're like, yeah, Jesus loves me, all this stuff. You don't really understand the spiritual warfare that your pastor's battling for you. Yeah. And that that's that was my first encounter with it and i can completely relate when you said there's a draw to that where you you remember very very vividly your very first uh um uh, images that you saw Mm. and uh i remember a few years later at, at camp when i was growing up just like a teen camp um i felt like uh god was kind of pointing me out because i i i had um refer back to that 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 video time and time again and i remember uh his name's brother jerry caesar he would begin to say you know don't dabble in that stuff that's that's spiritual warfare that always kind of scared me to continue to Mm -hmm. go on that you know there's demons around me when i watch that stuff but i mean i can completely relate to that 100 percent um so you come out of the military, or do you come straight back to church and act like nothing's going on? Or how, how, what's that transition like? Yeah, so I was in the Army for eight years. So I think, what did I say, 1999 is about, yes, 2000 right in there was when I started. So I was getting out around 2007. Well, I got back from overseas in uh, 2004. So I still had three years to serve, but I was in the Guard. So it's one weekend a month, two weeks a year. And that's when I started to really start to dabble and, and experiment with pornography and masturbation. And, and uh I would say at first I thought, well, this is obviously wrong, but it's not a big deal. It's just here and there, and then it started to become more than here and there. And what I looked at started to become more serious. There, you know, becomes less and less clothes that you're looking at, and uh, and I'll say just a, taking a moment here, it always gets more serious when you start looking at porn. It, it will start with 
clothes on but that are tight it might start there it might then it might go to like where there's less clothes but there's still a little bit of clothes and it constantly gets more that's why you see such the on uh, online or you hear stories of the horrible types of pornography out there and how people get there and so as much as you look at that and you want to say that that's disgusting and horrible that's the path you we all get on when we start that path if we don't stop it we will get to the end of that so so anyway i was i was uh about 20, 24 years old, and I was I was starting to experiment more. I lived in a house with five guys here from our church, so it was really hard to find some alone time where you could actually do this. Because <laughs> I had my own laptop, right? And so uh, um, none of these guys knew what was going on. None of they were all my best friends. None of them knew what was going on, and it started to become a daily thing. Like this was every single day, sometimes multiple times a day. My life was going horribly. I was, I was getting ready to flunk out of college. I was going to the University of Wisconsin in the engineering school. Um, I was involved in ministry, but I was just pulling things together at the last minute, checking some boxes. There wasn't really a prayer life. There wasn't really Bible reading. It was relying on what I'd been taught my whole life and just regurgitating things I'd heard and putting them together. And 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 uh, it started to get really bad. And, and everything, I was, I, I joke with my wife, uh, but... Before I met her, I had a credit score of like 300. Bill collectors were calling me. Every part of my life was 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 failing. I couldn't keep relationships, uh, and the ones I had were very superficial, as, especially with women or girls. At the time, I was I, I didn't um, uh, I didn't have uh, strong relationships, and so uh, I got really desperate, and I went to a pastor at our church. Another very key moment in, in my life, and I went to this pastor and I said, I don't know what to do. I'm looking at porn and I'm masturbating and I have no idea what to do. And once again, this is God 100%. This guy looks at me across the table and says, that's okay, Peter. I still love you, man. Let's talk. Those two things, and those two things, those two moments, my dad and this gentleman have helped shape how I think about this problem and how I help men and minister to men. And I think it's probably important to take a time out here and say, if you're listening to this podcast and you have an issue with masturbation or pornography or some sort of sexual addiction, that's not the norm, what happened to me. The norm is that a lot of pastors are not prepared to deal with this or don't know how. And in some cases, uh, uh, there's a uh, brother Showalter wrote a book, Escaping Fantasy Land. He's an apostolic minister, and he talks about he talks about the uh, the reasons why why pastors uh, don't help or don't know how to help or whatever. And he says there's four reasons. Number one, they're naive to the problem. They don't really think it's an issue. Oh, it's not a big deal. It's not my church, whatever. Um, he says number two, they know it's an issue, but they don't know how to deal with it. And so when you don't know how to deal with something, it kind of keeps it's like your inbox, right? That's the thing that keeps dropping to the bottom because you don't know what to do with this. So you just keep letting it lag. So that's another reason they don't know what to do with it or how to deal with it. Number three, the pastor might struggle themselves. And number four, they know it's an issue, but they refuse to discuss it. Discuss it because it's easier to remain silent than to be real and talk openly about it. So these are the four reasons. And so a lot of people do not have my situation. And if you're in that situation, I want to tell you it's okay. You can keep reaching out for help. But I believe that God had me in this this weird fast track, even though it took me a long time to get through this, where when I went to ministers, uh, this minister, he was like, it's okay, let me help with that. Uh, that's not an answer I get. When I talk to men from different churches uh, out in the state, the answer I get a lot of is, yeah, my pastor didn't know what to do or he didn't know how to help me. And that's not the pastor's fault. I'm not, that's definitely not what I'm trying to say. A lot of times they just don't know what to do. And so they, they weren't able to help the man. So anyway, so I went to this pastor and I said, I said, I, he's like, it's okay. I love you, man. Let's talk about it. And he said, Peter, uh, you're the 
second or third guy that's come up to me, would you would you be willing to join a group and talk about this? And I'm like, what? No. Second or third guy, wow. Yeah, this is, this is uh, what time was this? This was back in, uh, I'm guessing it's about 2007. So about 2006, 2007, somewhere in there. I said, uh, he said, would you like to join? I'm like, okay, pastor, how do I do it? He goes, show up at this address on Saturday morning at 7 a.m. Oh, man, I was so nervous. I roll up to that address. I'm, I'm an early riser from the military. So I got up, like, I was there at 6.30. I'm waiting outside. I'm like, do I be the first one in? Do I be the last one in? Like, there's this strategy, right? Do you want to? And I didn't know what to do. I'm just like, forget it. So I waited in my car, like, 10 to 7. I get in. I walk in the house. And there's a guy sitting there. It's his house. And he's from our church. And I didn't know him very well. And I was just like, hey, brother. He goes, hey, how's it going? And we both know why we're there. So there's a little bit. And then a third guy walks in. And then this pastor walks in. And he starts taking us through this series, this process, uh, based on a book by a guy named Dr. Ted Roberts called Pure Desire. And so it was this pure desire process that we went through. I went through that for probably three to four years as a group. And I went from, and, and let me preface all this by saying it's it's a process. Healing, this healing is a process. It takes time. Uh, I believe God can do a supernatural miracle in anybody's life. But for me, God took me through a process. Mm -hmm. And so I started going to this group. And after three years of going to this group, I went from uh, acting out or relapsing, we'll call it, to uh, from every day, sometimes twice a day, to maybe every week or every month. My binge purge cycle, as they call it, was, was, was more few and far between. But I still had a problem. I still had an addiction. I still had issues. I was just finding better ways to cope with it. And so... Uh, the group disbanded uh, roughly around 2010 after about three years because the pastor moved on to a different church. And uh, we tried to do it on our own, and it kind of it, it didn't end great, but a couple guys had really found some healing. Over the time, we went from having three guys to six guys, and uh, a couple guys had really found healing. I had found some semblance of healing. The group leader passed away in 2012. This was one of my best friends in the world, and even to this day, I'm not sharing his name because a lot of people in the church didn't know he was in a group, and I don't want it to tarnish it, but the guy had so much of an impact on my life because there was nothing, nothing I could do. I could bring anything to that room, any bad thing I was thinking or saying or wanting to say, any feeling I was having, and he would respond with, it's okay, Peter, I love you, let's talk about it. So once again, you're seeing this pattern of people in my life saying, it's okay, Peter, I love you, let's talk about it. This guy passed away in 2012, and I would say there was kind of this uh, desert period with me where I wasn't, I was, I knew what I needed to do. I was doing some of it. There was some healing there. Um, and then in uh, 2015, I, I would say, 2015-ish, uh, I started getting serious. I started going back into my homework, started doing some stuff. And my pastor now, Pastor Roy Grant, he's a senior pastor here at Calvary Gospel Church, um, he comes up to me. He says, "Peter, I know you went through a group." He's like, "There's, there's a couple guys that I've that I've heard of. Would you be willing?" He's, he said, uh, "Here, I found this series. Somebody gave me. What do you think? Let's do it." And uh, I said, "Oh, let me look at it." I threw it in my trunk and I never opened it for a year because I was still having relapses every six months or so, which is really good when you go from every day, mm -hmm. twice a day to. Uh, every six months. And I said, yeah, let me look at it. I threw it in my trunk. He didn't ask me about it. I didn't ask him about it. Everything's fine. And then I had I was helping two guys kind of around the state. And if I'm honest, I was failing miserably. I had no idea how to help these guys. And things, things were going better for me. I was I was probably six, seven, eight months where I was, I was clean. And, uh, and uh, two, two guys I know at the church, they came to me and said, Peter, I need help. My marriage is, is, is going to be gone if I, don't, if I don't do this, if I don't find help. I said, okay. And I dug into my trunk. It was still there. Pulled it out. Went to my pastor. I said, Pastor, I got some guys. I'm going to start it. He's like, awesome. Let's do it. Which is cool. 
my pastor is so cool about this, and I think that we'll talk about it later. That's really helped grow, uh, spur some growth in our church. So I don't know if I should stop now or we should keep going with the oh, story. Oh, no, keep going. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, so uh, I start this group. After This group started with three guys from our church. Hey, can I jump in real quick? Yeah. Uh, was there a moment that you realized, hey, I've got to get this taken care of? Is it something the whole time you kind of knew? Or was there some kind of a moment of crisis that you were like, I've got to go? Whenever you said you went to the, the person for the first time and said, hey, I need help with this. W- what started it to where you said, hey, it's time to get help? And that, how did you get the courage to do that? That that are, those are two really good questions. And so, I want to know also. I got a wealth of questions. How, that's good. <laughs> how do you know that you are addicted to something? Cause, that was another Because that's a that's a big thing. I mean, obviously, how does it go from a hobby to an addiction? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, and you you get people that like whenever they're doing you know different drugs or whatever, they'll say, "Well, I don't really have a problem," but they do it daily. What actually even qualifies as an addiction? I know we're throwing a lot of questions at it. Yeah. Once, I'm just sitting here thinking, "Whoa!" There's a lot to talk about. Yes, here. there really. Yeah, is. this is this is. Huge topic. So I think the first the first question you asked that was really good was about this idea is how did you know you needed help? And I knew I needed help right away, but I always felt I could handle it. And everything I'd been taught is just deal with it. Don't tell anybody. Everybody's going to judge you and tell you you're a loser and you're going to hell. And and that was my fear. I was afraid that I was a big giant loser and that if I can't figure this out on my own, then I'm a then I'm a failure. And why even share it with somebody? Were you involved in your church at this time? Oh, completely. I was going to church three times a week, showing up to prayer meetings on, on Friday nights. I was helping in ministry. I ran the sound, sang in the choir, taught classes. I, I worked with, it wasn't hyphen at that time, I worked with young adults. I mean, I was heavily involved. And and so... And do you have statistics that you can bring in later on what's the percentage of people involved, like in your same situation of... of just to put in perspective how many people there are that are out there that they, they teach a Sunday school class, they sing in the choir, they serve, they may even pastor the church, and the percentages of the breakdown of how many people actually, like to that third point from that sure. book of escaping the fantasy land, is they're secretly involved in it themselves. Yeah, so going back to the courage question, uh, <coughs> if it wasn't for my relationship with the guy, uh, that would have been one thing, but also... I got the courage because I had nowhere else to turn. I had hit rock bottom in every area of my life. I was in debt up to my eyeballs. I was failing out of college, literally failing out. They were kicking me out for the semester because I was failing grades. Um, I, I didn't have any strong relationships where I was real with people. My walk with God was not very good. It was non-existent, let's say. And I was looking at pornography every single day. And no one was catching me. That's the crazy part. I never got caught that I know of, right? I never got caught. And so it's just when I hit rock bottom and I didn't know what to do anymore, I just like, I got to go to somebody. And there's a Dr. Ted Roberts who who does the, he wrote the book Pure Desire. And he says, when, when the pain on the outside reaches the pain on the inside, come find me. And it's interesting because that quote so works true. I've tried to help men where I knew they had a problem and I've reached out to them and I said, hey, you want to come? Yeah, yeah, I'll do it. They don't want to help. I've found men need to hit the bottom before they're willing to ask for help. And I wish it wasn't like that way, but it, I see that in a lot of cases. So so come find me when you hit the bottom. And that's what I talk to a lot of men. And, and they'll be like, they'll start a group and say, ah, oh, yeah, and they're not into it. And they're like, I don't really have an issue. Okay, well, when you, when you realize you have an issue, come find me because God can help you. God wants to help you, but if you're not seeing it, he can't. So that's the courage question. Um, and I'd say it wasn't courage. It was just a, it was, I had nowhere else to turn. I was completely out so of ideas. You had hit rock bottom. I had hit rock bottom, and when you hit rock bottom, who cares what happens to but you? But there's there's people out there. Wow, 
What a statement. There is people out there, and I, I don't want to offend anybody who's poured into my life, but there's people out there that I don't know, or I don't think there's anybody out there that I could go to and be like, hey, I have this this severe struggle in my life that like you had. Um, I mean, I have guys in my life I feel like I could tell anything to, mm-hmm. but I don't know if I'd get the same reaction that you got. So what what would you say to those guys that don't have that guy in their life that says, I love you, Peter, let's talk about it? Um, you're right. I'm the minority in that case. And you I, really are. I, I, I Honestly, I talk to my wife all day long. When, when we talk about this, we talk and we just talk about how this was a this was a miracle that this happened this way because God wanted to use it to help people so that I could I call it fast track. They say this process takes three to five years to find healing and to to get over this addiction, right? Three to five years. Well, uh, it took me if I started uh, with stuff in 2003 and I started looking for help in 2005, 2006. I didn't really come out of it till 2015. 2006. I mean, it took me a good eight to nine years. I was I was on the lower slower scale, but how it happened for me allowed me to do it. I talked to man after man who comes to me and says, "My pastor, not in my church. My church, my pastor is. I'm very blessed. My pastor is like, let's bring it open. Let's talk about it. Like, awesome, right? Um, but I talked to guys and they're like, my my pastor, you know, I don't know if he could help me or whatever. So to what I would say to those guys is, there's a couple fold. I think it's very important to bring this out. You got to find somebody, the one person that you think you could trust, go to that person. And and they might not be able to help you, but you started the the thing. You started to talk about it, which is huge because we have to bring this into the light. We don't find healing in the darkness. We find healing in the light. The Bible says if we walk in the light as he is in the light, then we have fellowship and then we're cleansed by the by the blood of Jesus. And so once it comes to the light, that's when God's truth starts to shine on it and we can start to see things. So first thing is bring it to light, try to find somebody. Another thing is, and I'll give you some resources at the end of this, but there's some resources out there where you can go to a website and say, I want to sign up for one of these groups that Peter teaches or, 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 or helps lead and facilitate. And I can find one of these groups online and you can go find one. I would still say, though, it's important to let your pastor know. I'm submissive to my pastor. I talked to men all over the state of Wisconsin, and I, I spoke at men's camp here in Wisconsin last year. And guys came up to me and they said, you know, I have a problem. And you're the first guy that said he's willing to help. And I said, but you got to start with your pastor. you got to be submissive. you got to talk to your pastor, tell him you have a problem, and that you're going to find help, and ask him if it's okay. And then you can talk to me. You can go online, and I'm, I'm directing people to different groups because I can't lead a thousand groups, a million groups all over the country, right? And so... So uh, that's how we're going about it. So um, where I first interjected is whenever you um, you were talking about how you got you finally got your group started here and you started with three people and that's where I jumped in. Okay, yeah. So. Yeah. So um, and let me take take a break. I can answer your other two questions as we're kind of flowing into that. Uh, how do you know it's an addiction? If you can't stop it, it's an addiction. And I would say a lot of guys think. Well, I can stop it once every three months. No, then you're not stopping it. You're still going through the binge purge cycle. You still go through this, whether it's every day or twice a day or whether it's once a month or every six months or every year, if you have a binge purge cycle, you can't stop it. And that's an, that's an addiction. Now, I'm, I'm stretching things a little bit, but essentially if, if you're doing something and you can't stop yourself from doing it, that's the way we're looking at this. So I know in the in the I've had some pushback in the in the AppStock community about calling things addictions and and all that. So really, I'm a little bit old school. I don't really care. Call it an addiction. Call it a habit. Call it a hobby. Call it whatever you want. You're doing something you don't want to do and you shouldn't be doing. So it doesn't matter what the word is to me. Can an addict that has pride 
or doesn't want to lose their ministry in the church? Because you go to your pastor, I'm sure that they're going to pull you from the ministries until you beat this this thing. Can a person who has that that wall of pride uh, up, can they beat this by themselves? No. And I want to jump in real quick. Is we also assume that they'll pull you out of those positions until we actually have those conversations. You never know yeah, what's going to happen. Know. Yeah, yeah. It's it's not um, like in our church here. It's, it's not super public. I think Pastor Roy uh, talked about it with some of the men. But in our church, if you come forward, depending on your position, but if you come forward and say, "I'm the ex leader," I, "I run this group," or whatever, and you say, "I have an addiction," and uh, I've come to Pastor or to Brother Peter, and I'm I'm talking about this. Uh, Pastor Roy would be like, as long as you go to group and you're accountable to him in the group and you do your homework, you can be involved in your ministry. Mm-hmm. Now, there's certain things we have to watch out for if you're dealing with children or something like oh, that. Yeah, there's course. there's legal things yes. that Pastor Roy yes, and the admin team will, will, will work through. But it's very confidential. Everything is handled very confidential in this church. If you have an issue, you're sent to me. Well, the reason I bring that up is because uh, I know that there is there is. Well, there's certainly I would a say, fear that you're going to lose. Well, not only that, but whenever you do lose that place, that's not going to affect me nearly as much as if all of the 300 people surrounding me see me not doing it anymore. So yeah, they're what is he questions. doing? Yeah. Well, I think it goes back to hitting rock bottom. And you got to ask yourself, is that what you want to be doing for the rest of your life? True. You want to spend the rest wow. of your life being fake and masturbating and looking at pornography in the shadows? Or do you want to live the life fullest what God has for you? And sometimes it takes losing a ministry. It takes losing a spouse. It takes losing a family. It takes losing a job. It takes flunking out of college. It takes losing all your money for you to realize that my walk with God is more important than anything else. It's more important than me having some title, some ministry, some some thing that makes me look good. Well, I'd rather be good. So I want to ask you one last question that is going to be very uh, controversial. Sure. You you answered my last question very very fast. Can a man beat it without um, helping his life mm-hmm. uh, and holding himself accountable? Somebody you so easily said no, but you. Can, can if you become submissive to God and ask God to help you, you don't think that now I, I'm you're the expert here, bro. Do you not think that God could change the desires in your heart, or is it something that is something that's of your flesh that's that's on on a level that you know? Yeah, no, that's that's a good question. So um, I believe God can do anything. Absolutely, I, I believe God has all power in heaven and earth, and He can do whatever He wants, and and He has the ability to heal your mind. I believe that a lot of times men don't know what the problem is. Mm. I believe <laughs> you read through Romans, the first I believe the first chapter of Romans, we start choosing things that aren't God, and God's like, well, if that's what you want to choose, I'll let you choose it. And so what's happening here is we're rewiring our brains for what is normal. And I'm going to steal in some stuff here from Ted Roberts and Doug, Doug Weiss in the Conquer series, which I can we can we should at the end make sure I give you some of these resources. Yeah, that's the, what we'll do from the for Conquer sure. series. But what happens is our brain starts to create what is normal. Okay, let me give you an example. If you were to every day, let's say you lived in on, on one side of a big prairie grass, right? And every day you were you lived on one side and there was a, a town on the other side, and every day you had to go into town and you walked across that prairie, right? After a couple months, there's gonna be a path that you walk across that prairie, right? Well, what if I said all of a sudden that your house moved or, or the, the town moved and you started you started going across that prairie in the path that you've created, the one that you always know, but now you have to go somewhere else. What if you started halfway down that path and you realized, oh, what am I doing? No, I wanted to go the other way. That's what's happening. Our brains are creating what it thinks is normal. And so every time, and this is where 
uh, you're going to ask me a million questions about this, but porn is not the problem. (laughs) Nudity, masturbation is not the problem. The problem is in our brains. It's how we've wired it. It is a learned behavior and it's demonically charged. It's combined. And so we start creating this learned behavior. So, So every single time I feel fear, I run to, I run to, I go down my path. I go where I need to go. Every time I feel anxiety, anytime I feel stress, anytime I feel like a failure or a loser or an idiot, anytime I feel like people are making fun of me, anytime I'm feeling like I'm not good enough, I go down this path. And what happens is I create that path so easily and so powerful that moving forward, I don't even know I'm down that path. To where something happens at work and I feel like a loser, or something happens with my spouse and I feel like a failure, or something happens with my children or at my church and I feel like a failure. And next thing I know, I'm looking at a screen and I'm masturbating and looking at porn and I'm like, how did I get here? Because my brain has wired itself. It's a physical thing. Our brain wires itself to say, you feel fear? You need enjoyment. Get comfortable. Go get comfortable. Go medicate. So once again, call it an addiction, call it whatever you want, but I'm medicating. I'm medicating a feeling. Here's here's Mm -hmm. the million dollar question, Brian. How many paths from our men in the church are worn out from going down that? I think the... The question I ask myself now that I help a lot of men with this is how many of our paths aren't porn? How many of our paths aren't alcohol? How many of our paths aren't sexual addiction or drugs? How many of our paths are just things that we've created that are going down this path that we always go to when we feel anxious instead of going to God and casting all of our cares on him? When we feel like a failure, no one loves us and and quoting, hey, nothing can separate me from the love of God. And we start quoting these things, but our path just tells us, okay, I'm going to go veg on Facebook. I'm going to go spend all day on Netflix. I'm going to go, go bury myself in a jug of ice cream or, jug of ice cream or, or a book. McDonald's. Or, and I am so thankful that I was addicted to porn. I am so thankful that I was addicted to masturbation because guess what? That's a path that is so ugly and so gross that nobody wants to talk about that I had to get off of it eventually. But ice cream, I don't got to get off of that. I love McDonald's. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Oh, that's funny. I... This is such a, a a heavy, heavy, heavy subject, but it doesn't get talked about enough. Um, why why are leaders and pastors scared to talk and tackle this subject? I think it goes back to what uh, uh, Brother Showalter said. I, I think we haven't talked about it for years. I think it's we don't know what to do. So why does why does our movement, Brian? You can answer this too. I don't care. Why does our movement wait till it's too late? I don't we, are, know. we are losing I, too many valuable assets because we don't know how to cope with things, and there's no restoration, there's no healing. There's pray about it, I'll pray for you, brother, good luck with it. And it's 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 not popular to tackle these situations. What I think it is is I think it's an overgrowth of the idea of American society of individualism, and what you do behind closed doors is really your business, and so I'm not going to talk about it because I don't think this is a UPC problem. I don't no, believe no, this is an apostolic no. problem. I believe this is a problem, and I think everyone has it. And I think that whenever you look at individualistic society where what you do, that's kind of your business, so I'm not going to talk about your homosexual relationship. I'm not going to talk about your affair. I'm not going to talk about your pornography. I'm not going to talk about any of this because it's not my business to discuss that. Now, whenever you come out in public, I'll preach about your worship, because that's in a public place. <laughs> yeah, I'll preach that's about true. I'll preach about you being good to one another. Because that's in public. What you do in private is your business. And so that's what I think ultimately gets at the heart of it is that we have this conservative mindset as Americans. Whether you vote one way or the other, it's just it's ingrained in us in that what you do in your home is your business. 
and I have no place to say anything. Mm-hmm. And so that's the reason why we don't say anything. Now, that's just my opinion, putting me on the spot. Yeah. I think with with churches too and leaders going back to the maybe not always knowing what to do. This is not just an apostolic problem. No. You asked about statistics, but it, but it's a problem in apostolic that we don't talk about. No, but we're not alone in that we don't yeah, talk 100%. about it. A lot of the other churches don't talk about it, and and everybody has this problem. It's it's gone unwatched for too long, but it's starting to come to the forefront. This this. Uh, um, you asked about statistics. Um, the statistics a couple years back, and they've changed. They go up every year. I mean, the porn industry spends trillions of dollars every year, right? That's how much they, they make, sorry. Um, the, I believe it's 67 to 70% of men struggle with addiction, like with actively looking at porn on a regular basis, right? And then they said of the church, church uh, leaders, they believe it's over 55 to 65 based on surveys they've conducted. This is uh, the, the Conquer Series, Dr. Ted Roberts, Dr. Uh, uh, Doug Weiss, who are both uh, uh, ministers, uh, not apostolic, but they, they do these series, and it's really good stuff. And they said that's what the, the, the percentage is. Now, I'm a, we're an apostolic church, and uh, you know I talked to my pastor before I came here, so I, I let him know what we're doing. But we, we broke out the groups, so now we'll go back to telling the story, right? In, 2000, in 2016, I started a group with three guys, and it started to go really good. God was moving in these guys. We poured into them every, I'm not even going to say when it was because people will know where it was or who it might have been, but every once a week we would meet and we'd talk for two hours. And we'd, we'd sit, <clears throat> we watched some videos, and then we moved on. We started doing homework. We'd meet. We were accountable. You're texting each other. What's going on? Man? It was open. It was in the light. And we did this for uh, two years. Um, after about a year and a half, a couple of the guys really started to find some healing. And actually, they were all really growing and finding. And uh, one of the guys had, had found some sobriety for about, uh, I think it was about a year, a year clean. And uh, my pastor came to me. He's like, hey, Peter, I feel like we need to show that series to all the men in our church. I want you to do it. I'm like, Oh, oh, okay. He's like, this is what we're going to do. We're going to separate the men and the women. And it's, it was a five-disc series. He's like, we're going to show every man. He's like, how do you think we should do it? I said, this is what we're going to do. We're going to show the series. We're not going to say a word. I'm going to get up there. We're going to say a prayer. We're going to show the series. No homework, no questions, no nothing. I'm going to give a couple minutes at the end to say maybe something about my testimony. We're going to pray, and they're going to leave. No pressure, no nothing. And after five weeks, we're going to invite anybody that wants to join a group to sign up. After five weeks, we had 20 guys sign up. That said, we have an issue, right? So since then, since 2016, I had to write this down and remember this. After that group, so I had my, my group had six guys that I was in back in 2007 to 2010, 11 area. In October 2016, I started a group with four guys. In June of 2018, I took one of those guys and him and I, because I had mentored him to be able to lead a group. Um, and we have rules and protocols and that you have to follow if you want to lead a group. Um, him and I had 10 more guys that we led in two groups of five. After that, we had three new guys start. This was in, that was in June of 18. Spring of 2019, three new guys started, and one of the guys from the second set of groups led the third, the third series. So now there's three of us that are leading groups. In the summer of 2019, I started two more groups with eight guys in them. We started, and the, now I'm not even leading those two. I got my other two guys leading them. They're accountable to me. And, and, uh, and then I just found out this Sunday, five guys walked up to me in church and said, I got an issue. And I said, that's awesome, man. One of my favorite things to do in this ministry is to look at a man and say, that's okay. I love you. Let's chat about it. Because that's what was given to me, and that's what I can give to them. And almost every time they're sitting there crying because they're like, I don't know what. I'm like, it's okay. We can work through this. The hardest step is the one you just did, the, the coming to someone and coming forward. Wow. And so 
last year I was given an opportunity. I was asked by another pastor here in Wisconsin. He said, come to my church and present this. And I presented it the same way to the men. After five weeks, 26 men signed up in the first week. So we talk about these numbers, and I, I, I like to think that people think, oh, we're, we're apostolic. We don't have the same numbers. But everywhere I see, it's similar numbers. It's similar numbers as you'd see at any other church. And so I really just think it's an issue that's been in the shadows for so long, and it's gripped so many people. It's held people bondage, and some of them are leaders too. And so because of that, we haven't broached it. But what's really cool is uh, I, I steal this from uh, uh, Doug Weiss. It was a, a verse in uh, Revelations, and I've been really claiming this recently. He, he spoke to me. I went to a conference out in Colorado. And in Revelations 2, verse 20, it says, But I have this against you. You tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess, prophetess and teaches and deceives my slaves to commit sexual immorality and to eat meat sacrificed to idols. He's essentially saying, I don't like you because you tolerate this woman and she does two things. She has you commit sexual immorality and she has you compromise. Okay? Which are both compromise. Commit sexual immorality and compromise. And he says all the stuff he's going to do to her. I'm going to do all this bad stuff. Uh, um, all this stuff. And then in verse 25, he says, But hold on to what you have till I come. The one who is victorious and keeps my work to the end, I will give you authority over the nations. And I think that we're starting to get to a time now where men that are coming to the light and that are finding victory over this, God is saying, Okay, you, I've given you victory over that. Now I'm going to give you authority in other men's lives. And it's really cool Ooh. to see this because that, 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 when I heard that from this guy, I was like, That's powerful. And now I'm sharing that with everybody. I'm like, I have authority. Because God has helped me conquer this, and I am accountable to my pastor. I'm accountable to the guys still that are that were that I'm that I was in a group with. I, I still talk with this. I have all the accountability software on my phone. I'm the leader of the group. I'm a family pastor, but I have all the accountability. It gets sent to my my best friend and my wife. And so we we have to the 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 start of this movement. The start of this movement as men are starting to find healing and, and step forward and say, I have a problem, and, and they're bringing this to the light. As they're starting to do this, and God is starting to heal them through their process, and they start to help other men, uh, that's how we're going to beat this. Because it has been in the dark, but we have to just, we have to go where we're at. we got to walk through the doors that are open in front of us. We can't focus on the millions. we got to focus on the people that's in front of us. And so I was saying before that, even for me, I'm the leader of this ministry, but... I have accountability software on my phones. I have accountability software on my computers. So on my kids what? Computers. What is that? Because I can I can have an accountability partner that I lie to. So what's this software? Okay, so there's a lot out there. I would you could Google it. Uh, some key ones are Covenant Eyes. Covenant Eyes works really great on an on an iPhone because it becomes your browser. You can't use your other browsers. That's your browser, and every single thing you search, I see when you send me a report. Yeah, you don't want to send those to your wife if you're looking at stuff. That's, that's a whole different. You want to have a podcast? Go find a wife that's gone through this. That's the, what they experience is horrible. All of my, all of my sadness and 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 uh, whatever goes out to these women and what they're going through and how they experience this is very traumatic for them. So I want to make a, a a moment for that. But so Covenant Eyes is a really great one. You can put it on tablets. Phones, computers. Um, you, there's also uh, Accountable to You and Ever Accountable, which are both softwares. A lot, most of these you do have to pay for. But you know what? I was, some things are worth your soul. Yeah, sometimes <laughs> if it's seven, eight bucks a month, just get rid of Netflix and you'll be fine. Because nowadays Netflix is half, you know, bad movies anyway because they don't got to rate them or tell you anything about them, and you can watch them. I had to get rid of it because my kids, you know, it's right there. So um, it's seven to fifteen bucks a month, depending on which one you use. But, once again, this isn't something you do by yourself. 
you gotta you gotta come forward to somebody and share this. And I'm gonna tell guys right now, your wife is not your accountability partner. Okay? You will do more damage to her. You need to be honest with your wife, open and honest with your wife. I'll never encourage lying to spouses ever. But she is not your accountability partner. You need somebody that. Yeah, because I have a feeling that if 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 I told my wife that I was doing something like that, she would not say, "All right, Tony, it's okay. I love you. Tell me about it." It would be, "Hold on, let me go get the butcher knife that's in the kitchen. I'll be right back." <laughs> yeah. You know, so I, I I see. I can understand it a hundred percent. But I also well, I want to justify when I say that I have an accountability partner. Mm-hmm. Uh, that it'd be so easy to pull the wool over their eyes. So it is important to. You know, and it's sad that we got to have a digital footprint in the world. Uh, I would say what we know as accountability is different than what I've learned in the recent couple of years. Accountability with me and with the guys that I work with and that work with me is totally different. You don't get to say fine. You don't get to say okay. You have to give answers. You have to be truthful. It has to be in the light. Everything you everything you see in the Bible, and you talked about this. I want to go back to this because it's an important thing. You talked about, hey, can't we just beat this alone? God can do it, right? Well, I find it interesting that all throughout the Bible, you hear Jesus talk about, bear ye one another's burdens. It says, confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed. I quoted it before. It says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, if everything's out in the open, then we'll have real fellowship. That's fellowship. Yes. Not just, hey, I saw a game with you. I, I, I talked about this with you. So it's all talking about things being open. Now, let me pause here and say, not on Facebook and declaring to the world. I'm you're interviewing me for this, but this don't go out there and that's not open. You need to go find, find somebody that's struggling. The com- with it. Yeah, yeah, confidential, confidential. So I read all that and I read all this where it's, he talks about this. And a key verse for me is in is in Revelations. This was a, a thing I, I picked up in, in one of the books I was reading early on. But in Revelations 12, verse uh, uh, 11, I believe it is. I'm probably taking me a second to get here. In Revelations 12, verse 11. Verse 10, it says, I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, The salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah have now come because the accuser of our brethren has been thrown out. The one who accused them before our God day and night. This is the devil. He's the one shaming us. You big giant failure. You just keep looking at porn. You keep masturbating. You keep doing wrong, stupid things. What a big giant loser you are. He's accusing us and he's doing it before God. What's interesting, in verse 11 it says, They conquered him. And they did two things. They conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. So yes, it's interesting that I believe God can heal anything. I believe God is, can do impossible things. But everything out there, he's telling us to bear each other's burdens and confess our faults and talk to one each other. He's, he's essentially asking us for real connections and real accountability between each other. It's Because it says, bear you one another's burdens and what? So fulfill the law of Christ. And so... It's been said that a lot of the times what, what drives this is we're what, what drives the wounds in our life that drive us to sexual addiction, the, the things that drive our mindsets to creating those wrong pathways, are they're created in community, and so we need to be healed in community. And that's a that's a quote from Dr. Ted Roberts. But that's what they talk about. It's if, if we're wounded in community, we have to be healed in community. And so I really believe that's the way God's designed it for us. I have a lot I'm thinking about right now, Brian. <laughs> There's so much on my mind that I just I like the idea oh, of of the accountability being you can't just say, Hey man, how are you doing? And they just say, Okay, I'm fine. It's it's I just downloaded that app for myself. For Kevin and I's. Yeah, I'm gonna talk it's, to you about that later. It's it's <laughs> it's it's hey, I was looking on your browser and you went to such and such. What was that about? Mm-hmm. It's even more than that. I don't I don't even need the browser now. I look at a guy and I can say, hey, man, how you doing? I'm doing okay. What does okay mean? 
Well, I'm, I mean, work was fine. I'm like, what's going on with your wife? What's going on with your family? And I got no problems now. I'll just be like, when was the last time you masturbated? You know, it's funny, though, because I'm not afraid. Nothing you are going to say is going to scare me. I'm still going to respond in love, whatever it is. And so I get a lot of weird answers. I've had some guys say, well, I didn't really masturbate. Well, what were you doing? Well, I was kind of playing with myself. Dude, you were masturbating. Well, I guess so, you know. And so it's helping people tell the truth. Mm. I Literally, I joke with my pastor. I say, my job is to get lied to every day and be okay with it. And, and I'm trying to help people learn how to tell the truth because they've been lying for so long because they don't trust the people or they don't know how to tell the truth. And once they realize that telling the truth is okay and things start to get in the light, then we can start to help because then we can focus on the things that we can have God heal. Wow. I want to ask you about your relationships, not with God, not with other mm-hmm. men and friends. I want to ask you about your dating life and your um, companionships while you were dealing with all this. Um, I'm going to, a lot of people know me around here and I don't know how many people listen to this podcast. So I'm just gonna don't try promote to, it. I'm just trying, I'm going to try, don't promote it. No, I'm, I'm going to try to be, I'm going to try to be vague. I didn't have a lot of relationships when I was going through this because I felt so horrible about myself, which is interesting, right? It's a really horrible cycle. No woman would want me. Therefore, I'm going to find a woman online who will smile back at me and then she wants me. Oh, but when I do that, no woman won't want me. And so I'm going to go online and find a woman who will smile. You see the cycle, right? It's this cycle of craziness that I'm not good enough, that I'm a failure, that I'm an embarrassment. And everybody's got their own lies and their own pathways that are created. And this is the root of it. The root of it is, is it could be wounds in our lives. It could be addictive uh, lifestyles we saw growing up. It could be, you know, some people, it's really traumatic events, right? But in those moments, the devil will insert a lie. And he'll insert a lie that you'll start to believe. And you'll start acting on that lie for the rest of your life. And that lie then informs how you make decisions in life. So if I always think that I'm a failure and I'm an embarrassment and no one's going to love me, I'm going to make decisions that back that up. And guess what that's going to do? It's going to reinforce it because my decisions are going to create results and consequences that show me, yeah, I guess I am a giant failure. Well, no one loves me. I'm going to be by myself. Well, then a year goes by, I look, I was by myself. Nobody wanted to be near me. I don't remember the fact that I chose to be by myself, right? I'm choosing to do the very thing that I'm trying not to do. Mm. And that's why we need to be with somebody else because somebody else can notice it. Somebody else can say, no, brother, that's, that's not true. That's not a truth in your life. I do love you. Someone does care about you. God does love you. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. And that's where if we're believing lies our whole life, what's the, what's the, the combat for lies? Truth, the word of God. And so one of the key things we learn in these groups is taking God's word and applying it to moments in your life when you feel whatever, when you think whatever, when when you feel like a loser or think you're a loser or bad or not good enough or whatever it is, man, woman, whatever, it's starting to apply God's word. And that's faith. Because faith is applying God's word and trying to act on it when it doesn't think when you don't think it's gonna make sense in this situation. Uh, we're certainly creatures of habit that that get into cycles. I, I, one book that really illustrated it to me is the book Love and Respect, um, talking about how the way we respond to different situations in our uh, marriage relationships, how you can res- re- respond in love, and because you respond in love in a certain way, it creates a cycle where the way that the wife responds is with respect back to the husband, mm-hmm. and it creates this cycle. Or whenever you show a lack of love to someone, then they show a lack of respect back, and how it can create cycles because we are, like you said, we get into the habit of I always respond this one way whenever I'm faced with a certain kind of, of, of struggle. But um, I, I want to ask you um, 
before you got married, would you consider yourself totally delivered or were you still dealing with some of these things whenever you were in your marriage? And if so, how did you and your wife's relationship, how did it affect your relationship? Um, So I was still dealing with it when I got married because I got married in 2009. I've been married just over 10, almost going on 11 years here. I was, got married in 2009. I was still dealing with it, and I was in a bit of a gray period there where my group had just stopped, and I was, I was kind of on my own a little bit, and I wasn't as accountable as I should be, but things were going, things were going better, a lot better than they were. But as I met my wife, uh, right as my group was still going on, and so in the group, you're encouraged to start to share. I met, she wasn't my wife at the time. She was my, a, a woman I'd met in college. And so you're encouraged to, not every week, but as you go through the process, you have to start being more open. You can't just go to the three guys in your group or five guys in your group. And so there came a moment where I, you know, I told my pastor and the, the one of my pastors, and that's how I got in the group. I talked to those three guys. And then I had to tell a good friend of mine, hey, this is something I struggled with. Okay, cool. And it's like helps me heal as I start to talk to these people and there's forgiveness and whatever. Well, my wife was one of the people on my list that I had to talk to, and she was a she was my uh, girlfriend at the time. Did she and, have any idea before then? No idea, zero. And and so I went to her and I just said, hey, uh, just so you know, you probably don't know this, but I go to a group every Saturday morning at seven a.m. because I'm addicted to uh, pornography, I'm addicted to masturbation, and uh, I said I've come a long way. I'm not out of the woods, but I just want to let you know that that's what's going on because I don't want to waste your time if you're not interested in being a part of a relationship with someone with an issue. What did she say? She said, that's okay. I still love you. Let's chat. <laughs> that's awesome. Man. Which, once again, if you're listening to this, that's a minority. And I, yeah. I, don't, want, I don't want you to get your hopes up. That's not always going to happen. And I really believe it's, it's so cool, and this podcast isn't about my wife, but the, the, the healing that has happened in my life has allowed me to help facilitate with God the, the healing in my wife's life. And the fact that her life and her story that she went through, which was so powerful, all her failures and, 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 and shortcomings and the things that were, that were horrible things in her life helped create her to be the perfect spouse for me when I was going through this, and then I could help her. It was, it's weird how God lined so, it up. I, I got to ask a question that's just burning up uh, before I forget it. Um, man, I, how, how, what's the best way to word this? I, I guess I'm just, I'm just gonna throw it out there, and you'll have to don't be political. Correct my wording. <laughs> how dangerous is it to crack jokes about this subject with your buddies? Because if we crack jokes about pornography and masturbation, things like that, does it minimize the the true weight of mm. this subject? I would say I want to answer that from two perspectives. Mm-hmm. Okay. While I was struggling, and while people are struggling, I think it's not good to crack jokes. Although I would also kind of read into the fact that you're cracking jokes that you've got yeah. a problem. Okay, so that that's the hmm. way I would look into that. Okay, um, the, but the whole yeah, you know, we all do it, we all side, you know, blah blah blah. blah. I, I think cracking jokes makes light of it and doesn't take it as serious, and that's exactly what the devil would want us not to think it's a serious problem, which we've been doing for years now. I would tell you the flip side of that is now that I'm on the other side of this, I do have to be light about it. I do have to talk to men. And when I talk to men, there's this, you talked about, this is a heavy, serious conversations. And so I have to be like, okay, what was going on this weekend, man? And I have to I have to be like, hey guys, you know, one guy, we have a text group and he texted out. He's like, hey, if you feel like masturbating, 
He's like, call one of the guys in the group because it's really hard to look at. He said, it's really hard to look at porn when you're talking to a guy. No, and, that is and, pretty awesome. And, but th- that's us being open. And so I would yeah. say on the yeah. other side of accountability, there's not a joke. It's never treated crudely. It's never treated disrespectfully. We we very very much uh, 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 do not allow men to talk poorly about their wives or anything like that. But there is a, hey, we're going to be open. I'm going to use the pornography word. I'm going to use masturbate. I'm going to use anatomical things to describe what's going on. Because once again, I'm helping men learn how to tell the truth. And yes. it's not it's not uncouth. It's not uh, 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 gross or bad. It's us having a real conversation that uh, that people can have in this situation. So what does this do for our families with when, when, when the man takes the steps towards recovery as a family pastor? Man, you should. See. I've got a follow up question to that, but I, before you answer that, I'm sorry. Yeah. I want I want to ask a question because I don't want to get too far from what Brian asked a while ago. He asked about your marriage and your wife. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us about the first time, or if you did watch pornography after you got married? Uh yeah, I was. I another common lie, right? Well, once I get married and I'm having sex, because I, like I, I said, won't need I, was, it. I won't need it. You know, it's. It's not a me problem. It's a it's a I don't get it problem, right? And I got married when I was why don't I remember this? I was 20, <laughs> 28 years old. I, I got married, so I was older, right? And I'd only been masturbating for like five years, so like I had I had some uh, in my mind. It's like well, once I get married, this all will be great. I mean, I knew that it wasn't the truth because all my groups that I'd gone through, but I thought that's the last step once I get married, mm-hmm. and so. After I got married, it, it happened for the first time. I was, I, and I don't remember the details, but it was it was in the bathroom, and that's when you're married. That's the best place to do this in the shower. Your wife, you know, but I've heard them all. So this is the part where I'll joke about a little bit because it's like, and is is uh, I hear I've heard it all. So, um, but you you, you, you it was uh, I just got married, and I didn't tell my wife about it. She didn't she didn't ask to be accountable, and and uh, for every detail. But I did have to tell the guys in my group. I did have to tell them what was going on. And uh, to your point, early on, I wasn't perfect about it all the time at, at that time. And then there was that moment, that period of a couple of years where I didn't have accountability. And I was doing well, but I was still having issues here and there. So um, I think the first time for me actually uh, was, what time was it? 2015, 15? I would say one of the, the biggest things for me is, uh, so I'm a, I'm a father. I have My wife and I have four children. We have three daughters and a little guy. He's the, the youngest. And so I had my first child, which was a daughter, right? And I'm thinking, oh, you definitely can't masturbate. I look at porn now. You've got a daughter, right? And when I messed up the first time after my daughter was born, not immediately, I don't remember when it was, like that shame tried to come back. Like, see, you are a giant failure and now you've messed up your family. You've messed up your wife. Now your daughter's messed up and all that. And then I had another daughter. And my other daughter was born in 2014. And I think it was about my last, uh, uh, what do I have? I got my dates in front of me. Sorry, I'm looking at this back. It was about 2000. it was almost exactly four years ago was the last time that I uh, masturbated or looked at pornography. So I'm about four years uh, clean. Um, and uh, I had had a second daughter, and my third daughter wasn't born yet. But it was just, it was enough. I had had enough, and I started to be more open. I started to talk to people, and I started leading the groups. And, and it's been four years, and I haven't turned back. I haven't looked what back. Is, what is you, uh, what's the responses you get from your accountability group with your four guys in that text message? Is it lighthearted, like the joke, well, if you want to masturbate, just call one of the guys, because that's pretty funny. Or is it, man, I, 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 don't, I don't know what the, 
Yeah. Well, what is the response? Well, so when you go through these 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 series or you go through, it's a great series and curriculum to go through. You learn that porn is not the problem. Ladies, women dressing improperly is not the problem. That's always going to be there, right? I can't stop yoga pants, right? There's, they're always going to be there, right? And so what's the problem? The problem is me. It's my mindset. It's my brain. It's how I think about things and how I turn to that. I had a guy tell me, he's like, well, it's not my fault. She was really attractive and she was running across my car with yoga pants. I had to think about it and I had to put that away in my memory and I had to go home and act out on that. I'm like, why is that her fault? Well, I mean, she just ran there. I couldn't help it. Well, let's talk about that. What happened that day? Well, I was, you know, it was just I went normal day at work. What happened at work? Well, you know, I had a meeting with my boss. What happened with your boss? And I'm making this somewhat fictitiously, but I've heard it enough. You'll get yeah. the truth in it. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, well, you know, he, he told me that, you know, I had this report was late and I kind of failed here and this. Oh, oh, how'd that go? I don't know. It wasn't great. Well, how'd, how'd you feel? I felt like a giant failure. Like I'm going to lose my job. Like I'm going to lose my family. Like, And so you travel down that path. And again. so you travel down that path every time. And so, so what you learn to do is start to realize what are the root causes of you acting out? Because it's not the woman and how she dresses, right? I'm not acted out in over four years and I see a lot of yoga pants. I see a lot of people that are not proper, right? I can't control it. I can control things like porn. I can control not watching certain movies. I can control not putting certain things in front of my eyes. I can't control the things that are jumping in front of my eyes. And now there's a whole another lesson there that you don't spend time dwelling on them and you don't spend time thinking about them and moving on. You can notice and, and because how do you not notice and then you move on to something different. But when you start to realize what the basis of the pattern is, that's when you start to find healing. That's when you start to find help because then you can start asking God, okay, God, help me with my fear of rejection. God, help me with my fear of being alone. God, help me with my fear of failure. And then then you can start finding verses, prophetic promises in God's word that speak directly to you and to your situation. And you say, oh, you know, I was a Bible quizzer for years, right? Well, I just memorized a bunch of verses. Oh, it's so much more powerful than that. I have God's word hidden in my heart. And so when you remember it, well, Peter, it's just some words. Yeah, but it's powerful. It's God's word. And so when I'm feeling anxious or I'm feeling sad, the Bible says, cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. I have to quote that verse. God, I don't feel like it right now. I feel like a giant failure, but I know. And one of my prophetic promises that I have to quote almost every day is Ephesians 2.10, for I am his worksmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, was God prepared beforehand that I should walk in them. I'm his worksmanship. He created this before I started messing up, before I started doing all these horrible things. I'm his worksmanship. And so when I feel like a failure that I'm not going to do good enough, I have to quote that verse. How long have you held on to that verse for? About three and a half years. And so for me, and that's my verse. That's You're going to have your own verses that God speaks to you. But in those moments, because guess what? In the moments where I feel, where my boss says something or my wife says something, guess what it is? For the, Because of my life and my history, I feel, Peter, you're a failure. Peter, you're a loser. Peter, nobody wants you, right? These are the things that go through our mind. You don't even know they're going through your mind. You're just marching down that path of, of craziness that I'm a loser, I'm a failure, I'm a, nobody wants me, I'm alone, right? You're just marching down that path. Well, once I realize the path exists, then I can start, oh, I'm not all the way down the path. I noticed it before I got on the path. Or I notice it right as it's happening. Oh, this is one of those moments where I'm going to feel like a failure. And so what do I do with it? I'm going to call my buddy. I'm going to call. I'm going to talk to God. I'm going to take a moment and say, God, I give you this anxiety. I give you this fear. I don't. I, it doesn't make sense to me that I should be doing this. Every part of my brain, every every fiber of my being wants to go look at porn because that's what's that's what makes sense. There was a movie, okay, and I, I probably shouldn't quote a movie, but there's a movie, uh, A Beautiful Mind. 
And I watched this when I was in the army, kind of That's before. A good movie. So, but a beautiful mind, and it's about a guy, uh, Nash. He created the Nash Eagle. A genius. But in this movie, spoiler alert. Spoiler, <laughs> spoiler, yeah, spoiler alert. Way to ruin it. So, so he's he's a genius, right? But at the end of this movie, the, throughout the whole movie, there's two people that are with him, and I'm guessing a lot of people aren't going to watch the movie. But there's two people that are with him, and you don't realize till the end that those people are figments of his imagination. And at the very end of the movie, he's walking into the classroom. He knows that they're a figment of his imagination. He knows they're not real. And it's taken him years and years to realize that. And what does he do? They're looking at him, and he has to look at them, and he turns the other way, and he walks into the classroom. And that's how it is for me. I still see the lies. I still feel the fear and see the pain. But i like, that's not real, and that's not of God. And over time, as I start to speak truth to those situations using God's Word, to the situations of how I'm feeling and what I'm going through, I start not, I don't believe anymore. I'm creating a new pathway that's based on God's word. So going back to Brian's family question, uh, I have a couple of questions regarding family as well. Um, Before we go on very far into this, I would actually, I I really feel it heavy in my heart, and I would like for you to do this if if you feel comfortable doing it, is saying uh, a prayer for the women that are affected by this we're 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 going to i don't know i haven't talked to brian about it but i I really feel like the need to uh in in our facebook posts leading up to this episode that it's going to be more or less an episode for men you know you know because this is very important for men but um i want you to pray a prayer that the men that are struggling with this need to pray for their wives yeah would you do that for us yeah yeah, let's, you want to do that right now? Absolutely, right. yes. Father, we come before you right now. God, Lord, this problem, this, this issue is so huge. It's so big. It's overcome so many men and so many families and so many marriages. But God, you are bigger than any one of these problems. You're bigger than any of these issues, God. God, I pray right now for every man that is struggling with this, that has struggled with this, every young boy that might struggle with this, God. Lord, I pray that you would speak into their life. God, that you would help them hear truth, whether it's through this podcast or through your word or through somebody in their life. God, I pray that you would reach out to them supernaturally like only you can, God. I pray, Lord God, that they would start to see things differently, that you would start to show them the things in their brain that need to be transformed, that you would start to show them how to renew their mind, God. I pray that you would give them boldness and you would give them courage, God both to seek out help, even though that's so difficult, but also, God, to pray for their wives. God, these men help them to see and and understand how damaging and how traumatic this is for a woman whose husband is going through this, how much it hurts them. God, help them to see it through your eyes, God, and how this is your daughter, God, and that you you are their father-in-law in in this situation, God. I pray, Lord, that you would be with them, the women, God. I pray that you'd be with every single woman whose husband is struggling with. God, give that woman strength. God, I pray, give that woman hope. God, in the moments when it feels like there's no hope and they don't know where to turn and they feel like it's going to be another day and another failure, God, I pray that you'd reach down and minister to them like only you can. God, every time they turn to you, every time they reach out to you in prayer, meet them at that need, God. And I just pray that you'd bless these marriages, bless these men, God. Let there be a a lifting of a cloud, God, of of fear, a lifting of a cloud of shame, Lord, so that we can start to talk about this and you can start to touch things that are brought to the light. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The reason I wanted to do that specifically is because you talked a little bit about having your daughters and you you remember that feeling and you remember that feeling whenever after your wife, uh, you and your wife were married, um, 
I want to you to speak to the parents now, the dad or the mom that um, some wisdom, some insight on how to deal with this and catch it at an early age instead of when it's they're in their 20s and beginning in their 30s and they're still battling with something because they didn't know how to handle it at an early age. Well, let me preface by saying I have four children and they're all very young, seven, six, four, and two. They're all very young. And so there's a number of different things. First off, I can't help my family. I cannot be have authority over this until I've been victorious. So first thing, go find help. You need to find help. You need to reach out. You need to reach out. I'll give some resources, but you got to reach out for help. That's the first thing because you can't help your family if you're living in this issue, if you're buried in this issue, if you're living in sin and you're overwhelmed by this. You can't help your family. They're just going to keep doing. You guys are all going to be creating your own patterns. Your kids are going to go to their tablets or their iPads, their phones, their friends. They're going to go to their normal thing that they go to, and that's how they're going to medicate whatever's going on in their life, right? And so the first thing I would say is find help for yourself. I would say don't be afraid to find help for your marriage either. If your marriage is is, is not going perfectly, men, take some ownership of it. You need to take ownership of it. If we're, if we're supposed to be like Christ and our wife is like the church, well, Christ made the first step by coming to earth and dying for himself. So men, become a man and step out there and be the first one to step out and actually try to bridge the gap like Christ did. As far as our children, I think we can't be protective enough. Mm-hmm. I think we can't be protective enough about what they see, what they have access to. Um, uh, tablets, phones, my kids all have accountability software on their tablets. I get to see everything they look at. I get to set uh, criteria for how old, uh, what age groups they get to look at things if they have a tablet or if they're looking at a phone. Um, and I get to see what they did. So that's one thing. Uh, my oldest daughter, she loves to read. And she's reading faster than I can find series for her. And so we're trying to make sure that these series are wholesome series. Not that a book for a seven-year-old is going to have porn in it, but it's going to maybe start a pathway to how we handle life, right? And if it's not uh, it's not a, a topic or a way I want to bring it about, then we got to be careful. So I think just watching what's in front of it. But more importantly, and I go back to this, if you can find help and you can become victorious and you can have authority, we can start praying with authority. Because the Bible says we're supposed to bind and loose. And so I'm going to bind this stuff in my family. I'm going to pray over my kids every night and I'm going to say, protect them wherever they go. Send your angels with them. I don't, I'm sure there's things out there that are going to touch people, but I believe in the supernatural power of God. And God's going to, God's going to protect my kids. He's going to shield them so they're not five years old and see this in a bathroom. I, I, and if they are, I'm going to be a parent that can talk about it. I'm going yes. to be a parent that says, it's okay. I love you. Let's talk about it. Whatever comes up, that's my attitude. Because nothing can separate me from the love of God. So nothing, if I'm supposed to be showing love to other people, nothing should separate my love from other people. I, I guess the, um, we'll go back to, uh, since Tony's pointing at me, I guess we'll go back to the question. So what what are the results that happen? Uh, what does it mean to a family whenever the man takes the step of recovery? So taking a step and signing up for a group is a huge, huge, big step, very important step. But actually following through and doing the work, that's where, you, that's where it happens. That's where you start to show your wife that you actually care. So... There have been some really cool testimonies. My life is an awesome testimony, but there's been some really cool testimonies in our church. Guys have had marriages that are almost done. Don't know what to do. They're like, I'm going to join a group. The wife, Some of them, the wife forced them in the group. Some of them, the wife didn't know they were in the group. 
They come to the group and they come and they talk about how bad their wife is and she's not having enough sex with them and, and all this stuff and their job is bad and all this stuff. And they start, they come to the group and they talk about how poor everything is, right? And after four to six, three to six months, they start realizing, oh, this is my problem. Our wives aren't perfect. Our jobs aren't perfect. But this is our my problem. And so men start to take ownership. And so what I've seen is these men whose marriage have been on the fritz and these men whose, whose, whose wives have been like, I want out. There's men in our church who went from almost being divorced. There's men who, uh, and I'm not going to say where churches are, but who were cheating on their wives. And God has helped restore them. They're leading ministries. They're having children. They're growing in God. And they're accountable. They're still in text groups. And their wife finds security. The security a wife feels is so sweet when she knows her, her husband is accountable, really accountable. And so, um, so it's been amazing to see what it's done for some of the marriages and families in our church. But then how that's extrapolated overall, it's, it's, this is not the only factor. Uh, we have a lot of cool things going on in our church. We've got a great pastor with an awesome vision. But you can start to see where some of these men now in these groups, and, and it's still confidential. A lot of people don't even know these guys were in a group at one point or that are still accountable. Um, these guys are now leading ministries. They're going to go help start daughter works that we're starting in our church. We're trying to start 20 daughter works by the year 2025. And we're, we're a good chunk of the way there. But some of these guys are going to help start daughter works. They're in ministry training. They're leading. It's really awesome to see how God has taken it and said, and said we're going to get past the shame and the fear and the doubt. And because we bring this to the open and we start being accountable with it. And that all starts, and I'm going to give my pastor props, but it all starts with the pastor saying, I'm going to be bold enough to attack this as a pastor. I'm going to be bold enough to bring this to the light, no matter how it makes us look, no matter how it makes me look as a pastor. Because there's people that probably look at it and say, oh, Pastor Roy and his church, they talk about porn. Look at all the guys they have that join groups, right? Yeah, that's awesome. Sign me up. Um, <clears throat> just to highlight a point, um, the, the thing you just alluded to, how much sex you get is irrelevant to this issue. Because I think there's a lot of men out there that will blame their wife on the problem because their wife hasn't put out enough that they get upset and so that's when they retreat but how much a person has sex is irrelevant to this issue isn't it because it's not a problem with that it's a problem with the individual nobody wants to hear that but that's true no i i've guys and here, here that's we go. gotta be the biggest crutch people the, the, lean on yeah my my wife doesn't put out enough and it's weird though you talked about cycles mm -hmm. and love and respect love and respect deals with that that book says yeah well when you start acting like a man that she wants to respect she'll start loving you like, whoa, hold on. Well, guess what? A man she wants to respect is not a guy that spends his time in the dark looking at porn and masturbating, right? And so go find help. She's not going to, it's probably not going to happen really great for her right away. But over time, as you start to show her that you're taking this seriously and you start to lead your family by starting to lead yourself and owning it, it'll start to change things. Wow. So I want to ask one last thing before we start wrapping up. Uh, we've been here for a while, but I could just keep talking. Brad said, look at your phone or look at your watch. But uh, I, First of all, thank you. Sure. Thank you so much. Um, my last question, Brian may have another, but my final question before we get into our last segments is, um, I want to talk about the importance of staying committed to the process. Because I'm sure out of all the years that you've been working with this, you've seen men come in excited about it and fizzle out and drop out of the program. Mm -hmm. um, and and don't hold themselves accountable and they delete the apps and they the they put that wall back up. Can you tell us about that side of the story real quick? Yeah. I, th I think we're all hoping that this is a really cool, like, 
I go, I went down to the altar and I raised my hand. Success rate. <laughs> yeah, I raised my hand and God just healed me and I didn't have to tell anybody and I didn't have to join a group and all this. But I really believe this is a process. I believe God has designed things as a process. We went into it as a process, and if He's going to renew our minds, I think a lot of times it takes us. I look back in, in my story and a, a lot of people that I help, the story of Naaman really sticks out. Naaman had a problem, he had a skin problem. Everybody saw it. It was ugly, it was horrible, it was dirty. And everything within him said, I'm just go to the prophet, and the prophet will tell me, I heal thou, you know, or whatever. And he's like, oh, some magic. He's the prophet. Let me give him some stuff. Let me see what I can give to do this. And the prophet says, I don't want your stuff. Go get in that dirty, nasty, stinking Jordan River and dunk down seven times. And he goes, that's stupid. And he walks away. And his servant says, if he had told you to do something really awesome, would you have done it? He goes, yeah. Well, then go get in the water. So he gets in the water, and you can just imagine Naaman as he's stepping in the water. It's nasty. It's dirty. He's like a, a very important man. He's a leader. He's, you know, people respect him. And he, he's filthy with all of his, his wounds and his problems, his skin issues. And he, and he gets in the water. He's like, okay. And he dunks down the first time, and nothing happens. It's like, this is, I can just imagine. This is stupid. Why am I going through this process? And I'm, I'm extrapolating here. We're having fun, right? The servant's like, he said seven times. you got to do seven. He gets down twice. Nothing happened. It's still there. And I'm in this stinky, nasty, dirty water. Just go down again. He goes down three times. He comes out. Nothing happened. you got to imagine he's wet. It might even be stinging his wounds. There's pain. He, it's not what he expected. The healing process is not what he wanted it to be. But after seven times, he comes up and he's completely healed. That's the way it is for God. That's really, he's taking us through a process. And there's a reason for it. But the problem is we don't always understand it. And sometimes... There's going to be some some sadness. There's going to be some crying. It's going to be dirty, but that's okay. And that's the message I would like to say for men that that have come through this and are victorious. And you want to help people. You want to be a church that helps people with this. You got to not be afraid to get dirty. You got to not be afraid to be the river that's nasty. Because I look in the New Testament. I look at what Jesus did. He was always kneeling down and writing in dirt for the lady that was probably naked and just got done uh, uh, with an adulterous relationship. He went out of his way to Samaria, a horrible, dirty area with people that he wasn't supposed to be around, to talk to a woman who was with her fifth husband or whatever, right? He got down in the dirt, and he, and he grabbed dirt and put it in a guy's eyes who was blind. And you just look at what Jesus did in the Bible, and he said, he's like, I'm here for the lame, the weak, the maimed. He's like, I'm here for the people that are captive, the people that are bound. He, he talks about all these people. He didn't say he's here for the millionaires. I'm here for the people that are thirsty, that are hungry, that don't have clothes, the dirty, nasty, stinky ones. That's who I'm here to help. And if we as churches can realize that that's what Jesus was for and we start ministering to those people, oh my goodness, just wait because they will just start flooding. I always noticed that the people who help the most are usually the ones that stink the most. Your hands right now, you say you're in construction, he's beat up. Uh, your, your, Your surgeons are always covered in blood after a, a traumatic situation and it, it it does it does make sense that if you if you have to beat something you have to get over something uh, uh, talking about addictions that it's not always going to be roses and beautiful and you just got to come come through that but take that first step of embarrassment and realize that I would rather spend the next four to six to eight weeks however long it takes to get to, get this thing started then spend the next four to six to eight years trying to explain mm-hmm. myself once this gets brought to light or then you still you have, have situations. the conversation. Yeah, and you still have to have the conversation. Mm-hmm. I just I just I plead with my brothers that are listening with us right now, take this episode to heart and 
if you're struggling with something, even if it's not a pornography addiction, it's some other addiction, grab hold of it now while you can. Uh, I have one final question, and then uh, we'd like to know about what resources you recommend, and then we would like to, for you to give a final word to our listeners out there, a final word of encouragement, a message of hope. Um, <laughs> my final question is to the question of process. We talked uh, with uh, a Pastor uh, James and Jelaine Lumpkin about they have a, a, a child that, um, well, they're not a child anymore. It's their child, but he's in, uh, fully grown now. But he battles with, uh, he has kept battled with chemical dependence uh, in the past. And they said something in the episode we recorded with them. They talked about how relapse is part of recovery. What are your opinions on that statement? That's awesome. That's that's so awesome. I, I, I sit in groups now and guys are like, man, I really messed up this week. What happened? I masturbated and looked at porn twice. I'm like, that's awesome. Let's talk about it. <laughs> because guess what? And I'm not saying we should all go out and, and mess up so mm-hmm. that we can talk about it, but... The fact that you messed up tells me you were avoiding something. And when we can figure out what you're avoiding, we can figure out what your fear is and what you're avoiding and, and, and what you're trying to medicate, and then we can attack that with God's Word. And we can start to focus on that with accountability and with God, and we actually can have focused prayer and conversation instead of just being this, well, i got to pray that the, the yoga pants aren't around anymore. And that's, not the, that's not what we're doing. So I relapse is part of it. I mean, this, this process is a, it's painful. Because think about it, you've spent your whole life doing the wrong thing because you're trying to avoid something. You're trying to avoid that feeling that you that you hate, that feeling of failure, that feeling of a loneliness, that feeling of not good enough, that feeling of embarrassment, that feeling of no one wants you, right? And so you do this one thing. And so to he- be find healing, you're going to have to face that. You're going to have to go back and face those giants. But guess what? When you have brothers and sisters with you to overcome the accuser of the brethren, and you have God's word and the blood of Jesus that died on the cross for your sins because nothing can separate you from God's love. Nothing. Nothing. The only thing that he doesn't mention in that verse is your past. Because if you let your past separate yourself, then it will. Mm-hmm. He says nothing can separate except for your past. So nothing can separate you. So you start quoting these things and you start saying these things and it starts changing how you think about things. That's God's word. And then when you start thinking about things different, you start acting on things differently. But it takes faith to start quoting these verses in moments where it's like, there's no way quote universal help. Well, why don't you try it? Yes. Wow, Brian, what an episode, man. Are you are you satisfied with this episode? Absolutely. <laughs> Just give us some resources. Yeah, what what's can, what can what can a, a person out there do to um, get that process started in their life of you building two a books. system of accountability? You mentioned two books. I, I was going to write them down, but I forgot my notebook. Yeah, so I'll show you guys some afterwards, but you guys can look up the web. I don't know how it works with the podcast. If you can look them up and put links in there or something. Yeah, we can do that. Okay, so there's two kind of the the leaders of this movement out there. Uh, One is Dr. Ted Roberts. Okay, Dr. Ted Roberts has wrote a number of stuff. He wrote a book called Pure Desire. If you're a pastor and you want to understand this problem better, or if you're a person and you want to understand this problem, I recommend reading that book. It's a long book. It's a wordy book, but it's very good. He's an ex-Marine fighter pilot in Vietnam. The guy has so many cool stories, right? Ted Roberts and Pure Desire, they worked with something called Kingdom Works. Kingdom Works put out a series called the Conquer series. It is a 10 DVD, so there's two sets of five, so it's 10. Don't stop after the first five. Conquer series. It is a series you go through, and they have little commercials you can play at your church um, as far as to how to get it kicked off. Confidentiality is so confidentiality is so important. What's that called? This is called the Conquer series, the Battle Plan for Purity. It's put out by Kingdom Works, and the main kind of guy behind it is Dr. Ted Roberts. So those are 
that's the Conqueror series. Another part of that is called the Seven Pillars of Freedom, which after you complete the Conqueror series, they highly recommend that you go through the Seven Pillars of Freedom. All of our guys that we take through, we take them through the Conqueror series, and then after that, we go through the Seven Pillars of Freedom. Conqueror series is a little more theatrical. There's videos, you see fighter pilots, and you talk. There's really cool people. There's bull riders that talk about their testimony, and the four-time national NCAA national champion wrestler, and these really great people that are like, this is this is my problem. And this is what I came up, and they share, and it's so real. Um, so I highly recommend if you're a church, starting with the Conqueror series and with a confidential group, and then also then after that it's called the Seven Peter's Pillars, the Seven Pillars of Freedom. Uh, it's a you go through seven pillars. They're each about four long. It's like 28 to 30 weeks long. It takes if you meet every week, which I highly recommend. Don't go every other week. It's yeah, too, that's, that's too long in between. So so those are the two Conqueror series and Seven Pillars. And then there's a guy out there named Dr. Doug Weiss. He's wrote a n- just probably a hundred bucks, I don't know, out there for about pornography and masturbation and all that. He wrote a book called Clean. That's really good. Uh, he wrote a book called Sex, Men, and God. That's good. He wrote a book called, the, I think it's The 100 Steps to Intimacy. He wrote something about something called Intimacy Anorexia. I'm, I'm kind of promoting their stuff. It's, it's really good stuff. But I want to put all, I want to put a big asterisk on this. If you're a man and you're struggling with this, don't think you can just go spend $150 because I know you're thinking it right now and go buy this series and watch it by yourself and be fine. It's not going to work for you. I guarantee it. There's no way it's going to work because you don't have accountability. It's not brought to the light. There's not fellowship where we're bearing each other's burdens. So great, great things to go. Pure Desire, Conquer Series, Seven Pillars, Doug Weiss. What's the, what's the series that was given to you you threw in your trunk? Conquer Series. <laughs> I, I wanted to ask that so bad. That's the one, man. It's I. So this is how Brian and I end every podcast episode. The next few minutes, two, three minutes is completely yours. Mm-hmm. Feel free to speak on what's on your heart. Um, if you want to speak to men or how, however you want to do it, um, you got full reign right here, bro. Brother. <laughs> no worries. Um, I, th- I think the, if I just ended it all, I just want people to know there's hope. If there's anything about my horrible, crazy, shame-filled story, is that there's hope. And if you're, if you're a man and you're struggling with this, it's okay. God loves you. I love you. There's help. There's help out there. That's the message that we have to be saying right now. People don't know there's help. They don't know what's out there. There is help. These series, you can go to the Conqueror Series uh, website, Kingdom Works website, and you can Google where you're at, and they will put you in touch with a group that's near you. Once again, talk to your pastor first. But I want to say that there is hope. I look back at my life, and, and, and for the last, what is it? I When did I say I started? It was a... Uh, 2006, 2007, when I kind of started my groups, I look back and, and over the course of the last 12 years, any given year I look at it and say, man, this is horrible. This sucks. This process is tough. I'm not doing very good. But if I look back now as a person that's outside of that situation, I look where God brought me from, I can't help but thank him for what he's done. I can't help but think about the restoration that has happened in my life. He didn't just pull me out of a, a problem. He didn't just heal my wounds and my wrong thinking and give me a renewed mind and transform me. He restored me. He gave me so much more. He gave me a walk with him I never had before. He gave me a, uh, the friends and a spouse and a family and, and a, a willingness to face fears that I never had before. God has truly restored me, and I, I can't say enough for him. And this, We talk about the series. We talk about what I do. I'm just a person that sits there and listens and talks, man. I'm not some genius. God does the work in people's lives, and there is hope. There is hope. And if you're a woman out there and your husband is struggling with this, or 
if you're struggling with this, there's hope. They're seeing that statistics show that women, even Christian women, are struggling with this more and more and more, uh, this uh, sexual addiction thing. There's hope. Reach out for help. Reach out. And don't quit if the first person doesn't do what you're supposed to, doesn't do what you're expecting. If the first person says, eh, I don't know what to do, then find somebody else. This is your salvation. This is your walk with God. This is your future. I, if I went to found help, I would still be some single guy in debt up to my eyeballs, failing out of college. Who knows what I'd be doing? But with God, he's given me everything. He's given me a family. He's given me a great job. He's given me a, 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 he's given me a, a great church to be in and to minister at. He's given me a great wife. I, I can't thank him enough. I look back now and I literally see everything. He's been faithful through every single step. Even the steps when I was doing the worst, horriblest, nastiest thing, he's been faithful. And so there's hope. That's all I want to say. There's hope and it's okay. Wow. If if someone's out there, they've been reaching out to pastors and or whoever it is that's in their life they've been reaching out to, and and they haven't had that voice of, oh, it's okay, I love you, let's, let's talk about it. Could they get in contact with you? And if so, how could they do it? Um, we can talk about that offline. Maybe you could put that on the on the link on how they could sure. do that. Yeah, I don't want to put my phone number on here. But yeah, right, for the, sure. the idea is I'm available. Uh, I feel like right now um, if you're a pastor and you want help with Maybe you just want to talk on the phone for 20 minutes and say, how'd you guys roll it out? What'd you do? And you need somebody to brainstorm with? I'm your guy. You can talk to me. You can talk to Pastor Roy, our senior pastor here at Calvary Gospel Church in Madison, Wisconsin. You can ask, what'd you guys do? How'd you do it? I, uh, he may pass you to me. So if you want to start with me, you can, but you don't have to. You can start with Pastor Roy. So I would say um, uh, you can reach out to me. Uh, you can try the website, uh, the Conqueror Series website, and, and look up something. Uh, but don't quit just because somebody said, well, I don't know what to do, or I'm not going to help you. Or they say, I'll help you, and they tell you, yeah, just text me every day. And then three months go by, and they've never said anything to you. Don't believe the myth that you're fighting this alone either. You're not. There's millions and millions and millions of us. Yes. You know? Yes. This has been A Christian Conversation. Hey guys, this is Brian and I'm Tony and you're listening to the Crucial Conversation Podcast.